back to the Deeper Dive podcast produced locally in the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Washington, D.C. here at Sacred Heart Roman Catholic Church in the Plate of Maryland. My name is Bill Winnell, as usual, joined by Monsignor Charles Pope. Good afternoon, Monsignor Pope. Yeah, good afternoon. And Father Larry Swing. Father, how are you? Hey, guys. Good afternoon. All right. So um, kind of back in between vacations, but today we thought we'd drop a, a weekly podcast, which Father Larry is calling Don't Back Down. Father. Okay, great. So, um, you know, I'm getting close to the end of my stay here in the city. And uh, so Monsignor and I did Mass today, and we were kind of praying about, you know, what should we talk about? And the gospel was so rich, and it it really ties in what we've been talking about the last two weeks about, you know, dealing with sort of heterodoxy and, um, you know, the world and what's our approach to the world. And and um, we thought, let's kind of break open this gospel. And I guess if you can name it, it's Don't Back Down. You know, I know Tom Petty had a great song, you know, and which I think we're going to add to this podcast, maybe at the end. Uh, but uh, our Lord says, I'm sending you um, out like sheep among wolves. So be cunning as snakes and as innocent as doves. And he goes on to say that um, that many will be persecuted, uh, thrown out of the synagogues brought before, you know, tribunals. And, um, you know, our Lord makes it very clear that um, that we're going to be persecuted. And, and I think, too, is can we accept that message? And can we kind of look at um, how to approach the culture uh, in, in, a, in a more positive way, uh, being as innocent as a dove and as cunning as a, as a snake? Um, but also just be to realize that sort of like this constant dialogue with the world where we just sort of listen and listen and listen, but don't teach just doesn't work. I mean, um, we're, we're called to teach. And and this, and this is uh, the the name of this gospel. If you look at the Bible, it says missionaries will be persecuted. And uh, so a couple of things, you know, Monsignor, we're going to, I'm going to hand this off. Just the sense of being missionaries uh, Mm -hmm. because there is in modern Christianity, uh, there is this sense that pretty much everyone's going to go to heaven and, um, you know, whether you're baptized or not. And um, and that this was the teaching of Vatican II, which is not the teaching of Lumen Gentium 16. Uh, basically, for those of no fault of their own, have no way of knowing the gospel may be saved. And the word is may. Um, and he says, because we've been taught this wrongly, um, there is sort of a, a sense of urgency about preaching to a pagan culture. Uh, and, uh, and I think too, we've been told sometimes not to proselytize, not to talk about the faith too, too openly. And yeah, <clears throat> I think you, you mentioned Lumen Gentium as well. And um, I, part of, well, in, 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 let's go back to the gospel first it says in that same gospel it says, beware of men. Now I think beware there doesn't just mean, you know, be anxious or afraid, but it's just be realistic all of us, starting with the, the three of us here in this podcast, have a tendency to harden our hearts. We have a strong, prideful streak. Uh, we don't like to be told what to do. We resist teaching and, and so on. And we have to be sober about that. <clears throat> and we have to. Um, so when he says beware of men, I think what he's really saying is, in which you, you spoke about, I, I'd like to say um, people always stop short when they read that chapter. Um, I'll just read the very, I'm not going to read the whole paragraph. It's rather lengthy, but it said, it says here, um, uh, uh, notice divine providence, deny the helps necessary for salvation to those who without blame on their part have not yet arrived at an explicit knowledge of God and with his grace to strive to live a good life. Whatever good or truth is found among them is looked upon by the church as a preparation for the gospel. And she knows that it is given by him who enlightens all men so that they may finally have life. But 
and people stop there and say, see, we can be optimistic and God wants to, you know, okay. Then, they, but the, the paragraph goes on, but very often men deceived by the evil one have become vain in their reasonings and have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, serving the creature rather than the creator. Or there are some who living and dying in this world without God are exposed to final despair. And that last part is so important. And I think it answers the question or the, the statement of Jesus today in, in the um, in the gospel. It says, beware of men, beware of them. Uh, he goes on to say they're going to hand you over, scourge you and so on. Because, again, many do resist the truth. And we get to have to be sober about that and not hate them. Um, but we have to accept the fact that part of our lot is, is as a church is to be a sign that will be contradicted. Uh, as Simeon held the Christ child in his arms, he says, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign who will be contradicted. Mm -hmm. It's part of the nature of the church, therefore, to experience uh, rebuke, rebuff. And one of the dangers for us is that we can't bear that. And so we want to alter or hide or water down or change the message to kind of conform with the world and what's popular. So anyway, I probably talked too long again, as I always do. Um, but uh, I think that's a place to begin because I think somewhere in our struggles today, you were mentioning earlier about this endless dialogue and the listening church rather than the teaching church. We have kind of two different visions of the church that are set up in the modern age. And one is one that wants to be very accommodating to the to the world. And another which says, no, we, we have to resist this and bring the world back. And so I think both positions deserve some respect, although I would have to say, uh, I think I know what camp I've been called to be in. <laughs> right. So, you know, you were a couple, a couple of things, Monsignor, you, know, you were mentioning here, and um, is that, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 uh, says, in strange tongues and foreign languages, I will talk to this nation and then so they will, but they will refuse to listen. And before that, St. Paul says, do not remain children in your thinking. And I, I think it's like what he's telling us is we can't be naive that yeah. first, first off that we, we have a job to do, right? Which is to bring the gospel to the world and where so many don't know it. And sec secondly is to, to bring the gospel to this world and not not to be like little children and scared but like trusting children like this is this is my this is what i'm called to do and i, I think there's a sort of naivete that that we can do this without preaching truth like you know in other words that people will just kind of assimilate that on their own and um you know i was you know it's it's funny once you come from you know i mean we're not that far in age per se but you know there is a difference uh, and, and a gap in terms of our seminary training. And, and I think too, you came from an era where you were kind of persecuted in a time for just trying to be an Orthodox seminarian. Right. So, I mean, it was almost like out of fashion for a lot of guys of your era to be people that would talk very clear, uh, clearly about the faith. Could you share some anecdotes about that experience and how maybe that is sort of paved the way to where we are today with the, the sort of the, the church of um, maybe mm -hmm. compromise versus the church of this is what the gospel preaches. Yeah. You know, I, I, um, I think I was probably not knowing it at the time. I entered the seminary in 1983, maybe 84, somewhere right in there. And I think I was like the first waves crashing on the beach of what you might call the John Paul, the second seminarians. Um, who had a great love for the church and uh, had more of a, a mind for the traditions and the fundamental teachings. Whereas I think the, the generations of seminarians that were just leaving the seminary to go be ordained at the time I entered were much more liberal. They thought uh, we need to change the church. We need to update it, uh, bring it into modern age, you know, this kind of stuff. So um, I, I was, and the faculty just were dumbfounded. What do you mean you want to pray the rosary? <laughs> what a adoration what um again so we had um a number of the older seminarians who maybe would have been the deacon class but the first year i entered they most of them wouldn't even go to adoration they said i'd rather chew than view 
and they would stand outside the chapel and say, we're going to go get pizza over at Manny Moon's Pizza Parlor if anyone wants to join us. And it was kind of like a, a weird protest they had that we were just had the gall to think that adoration of the Blessed Sacrament might be a good thing. Anyway, so you see the idea. This is kind of where it was. And then, <laughs> I mean, some of the stuff I was taught at the time was just horrifying, you know. Jesus never said this. He never did that. He didn't know he was God. He didn't claim to be God. Blah, 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 blah. You know, he barely existed at all. Um, <laughs> it, the scriptures were not a reliable historical source. And uh, this is just all a bunch of theological mumbo jumbo. But we can't take it seriously as, as an historical document. And so um, I one time sheepishly raised my hand and told the Monsignor who was leading our uh, one of our scripture classes, but but Monsignor, you, you say Jesus never claimed to be God or anything, but you know, you know, here it says in John's Gospel, before Abraham ever was, I am, and they're trying to stone him because he's making himself equal to God. I said, Charles, the, the, I'm imitating his voice, Charles, you are quoting the Gospel of John. I said, Yeah, it's the Bible, right? He says. The Gospel of John is not an historical source. <laughs> now, what were these? What were these guys doing? You know, had they just were they just trying to shred the scriptures? I think I'm going to guess that most of them thought they were doing a good thing. They just desperately wanted to bring the church into the modern age, uh, the scientific age, the age of empiricism and evidence and science and all this kind of stuff. And uh, they just they just. Um, we're trying to meet the world on its terms and the world demanded historically reliable sources and all these kinds of things. And therefore they were trying to sort of speak the language of the world in some, I think kind of vain hope of making the world like us. Hmm. Um, and I, I think, I don't want to just brush that aside. You know, we, there, we can look at things like, Hey, uh, how do we better proclaim the gospel in the, in the internet age? Or how do we better proclaim the gospel in an age where, frankly, science and empiricism are actually even out the door now? It's more about feelings and what I think. And, you know, so how can we tool, retool to maybe reach them? All right, there's some valid questions there. But at the end of the day, you, you mentioned the word earlier, naive. Jesus said the book. No servant is greater than his, no pupil is greater than his teacher. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. And, um, you know, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But you're, because you're not of the world, because I've called you out of it, therefore the world will hate you. Mm. So I don't think we're ever going to really get the world to love us. Um, we're always going to be a sign of contradiction. Not that we don't try to maybe find better ways to reach people and certain individuals, but I think we have to never forget that if you try to, you know, uh, you know, make happy clappy with the world, you're going to be consumed. You will, you know, the old Star Trek, uh, the next generation, you know, the Borg always said, you will be assimilated. You, resistance is futile. You will be assimilated. And I think there's a, a lot to that. So in trying to please the world, we end up becoming the world. Mm. And I think that's uh, what's happened in our time and those seminary teachers probably thought they were preparing me to go out into a world that was sort of cynical of the gospel or whatever but it's strange to teach me to go out into a world that's cynical about the gospel by becoming cynical of the gospel see they had already been assimilated and they didn't even know it right you know i i was uh, talking in my morning podcast today monsignor about uh jim caviezel who came out with this uh, new movie? Bill, what's the name of the movie? Do you remember? It's uh, something of freedom. Uh, Sound uh, of freedom, is it? Sound of freedom. Yeah, it's on sex trafficking, and yeah. uh, he he kind of blows the whistle on some of the stuff that's happening. You know, especially you know in a, in a society that's um, you know really intact. I mean, obviously, rightfully so. I mean, we you know we've been even in the church we have these problems with the sexual abuse, but he's like putting out in a cultural context and saying, look. We got a big problem here, and mm -hmm. uh, and you would think people would praise him for putting that out there, but that's not mm -hmm. what happened. I mean, right. they call they called him a conspiracy theorist. You're nuts. You're just a you know a radical. And it's like he's talking about you know sex trafficking of all things, you know. But he also, I mean, uh, Caviezel. I've been reading some of his stuff. Is that he's experienced like uh, tons of persecution since he did the Passion of the Christ. 
And you remember our Lord says, many <laughs> will hate you because of my name. And uh, I mean, he, he, he couldn't get a leading role on a lot of movies uh, simply because it was very clear that he stood with Christ and he wouldn't do immoral things on, on, on the screen. And, um, but also I think just the fact that he took the part of Christ sort of alienate him from Hollywood. And uh, that's been his experience ever since. And he kind of said that he's not very impressed with modern Christianity uh, simply because it's become sort of a, a church of compromise. And um, I really do um, sort of, I'm very edified by every speech I've heard by him. Uh, there's a couple that I've heard. One was on St. Paul, which was excellent. There was another about, you know, being an evangelist and other, other sorts of things. And he's been very outspoken and uh, he's a, he's a, he's an example of being a guy who's countercultural, you know, mm-hmm. so to speak. But I love the way he's unapologetic. Now, um, one of the things I think that people struggle with is it, it seems, and this is what our Lord speaks about in the gospel, is that it's almost like, and we've all been this experience before, when someone's like really hardcore on something and very passionate about something. That's that's not really in line with the culture. You're automatically just sort of, you know, pushed aside as being nuts or crazy, you know, and uh, is that something we should be worried about, you know, and uh, and I guess where is that because maybe we're not being as shrewd as a serpent uh, is cunning or is it just the fact that today the modern ear is unable to uh, to listen to to truth anymore? Yeah, well, I think it's a little bit of both, but I'll say this much that Jim Caviezel probably could have made millions and millions of more dollars than he has. Um, he's largely rejected by the major Hollywood producers just because he's identified with, you know, all that kind of crazy Christian stuff, that conservative Christian stuff, you know, et cetera. So I think, uh, you know, he's a handsome actor and he could have had lots of roles. And I think he's been willing to accept the price of being a disciple of Jesus. And, um, mm. I am. Um, I, I have a great admiration for him for that. Uh, yeah, people are afraid um, of standing up for the gospel because they know it will do things like that. Now, Jim Caviezel has had his fame, but it's a kind of a limited fame compared to what it could have been. And uh, I think the question is, you know, are we, are we, you and I as priests, for example, are we willing to possibly not accept, you know, lots of new positions in the church because we're perceived of by some in the church as being, quote, too traditional or too conservative or too doctrinaire. You know, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. Would I have been going up to, quote, higher places? Well, I never wanted to, thank God. You know, I just want to be a parish priest. But um, on the other hand, um, you know, even some who just want to be a parish priest have been canceled and troubled by people inside the church and outside the church. And it's been... Uh, not been easy um i'd like to read in this connection a couple things that i have a, i'm reading a book that um i recommend to everybody uh from uh, robert cardinal sarah um the day is now far spent okay now this book was published uh, i think a couple of years ago but it's uh, i'm just getting around to reading it um, but at any rate he says this he says that uh, during the second vatican council the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world uh, the Latin title Gaudium et Spes, tried to dust off the heritage uh, to, to, to utilize it better. Nevertheless, when it came to in describing in new terms the relationship of the church with the modern world, it was realized that there were many problems at stake uh, that were quite different from the mere pruning off of forms from another era. It, it is legitimate to find new forms of evangelization that the modern world can understand and uh, for, uh, so that it can be more receptive. But it is naive and superficial to try at all costs to reconcile the church. Uh, it is even, uh, you know, it's a sign of theological blindness. And he goes on to speculate, you know, look, if Jesus, who was the, the greatest preacher and evangelizer that the world has ever known, mm. ended up getting nailed to a cross, can you and I expect anything better? Are we going to get better results? Are we going to have a better strategy? You know, Jesus in engaging the world didn't just say, uh, let's let's have a dialogue. Let's have a con- conversation. He said, repent and believe the gospel. Those were the opening words of his public ministry. Not exactly, well, not exactly a, uh, a, a warm, warm, inspiring message. 
you know. Um, and and so I think that we, without being grouchy and curmudgeonly, we have to, though, we have to accept the fact that even if we try to schmooze with the world and pretty it up and use lots of euphemisms and abstractions and generalities, the world's still going to hate us and despise us. I don't care how much. You know, I can promise you one thing. I always say this to people. That if you try to make compromises with the devil or the world, they will never be satisfied until every last ounce of your integrity is gone. Mm -hmm. And that's why Jesus says, you know, you've got to be cunning as serpents and innocent as doves. You've got to go forth and preach this with a sincerity, knowing that some will reject you. And it's not you they're rejecting, it's me. And I want you to not be afraid of them. They're going to haul you into court and do all kinds of things. But your reward will be great in heaven. I want you to have courage. But I want you to have open eyes, not to be naive and kind of happy, clappy and think that you can make nice with the world. And, to, you know, that the goal is to have them all like you because they're just not going to. Because I've called you out of the world and they know that you're not of their you're not going to simply recite their narrative. <laughs> I might see how there's I, I there's an anecdote that involves you that I want to I want to share. But uh, uh, when I was a deacon, but uh, I want to first go to Romans chapter 16. Mm. And uh, I think it's 11 and uh, I think it's 14 to 19 or 11 to 19. And uh, you can find it in there. He says, I urge you, brothers, be on guard against people who are, are are out to stir up disagreements and bring up against teaching, which you learned, avoid them. People of that sort are servants, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, <laughs> you know, and um, but he says, avoid them. You know, like, don't don't get in fights about things that are not to be fought about. And yeah. don't don't get too mixed up on this. And I think uh, it's it's very clear when you go to scripture after scripture after scripture. It's all about the fact that, look, there's a fight going on and it's not going to be pretty. And if you try to stick with the truth, you're going to get beaten up a little bit. I mean, it's just everywhere in the New Testament. And I think mm -hmm. every missionary throughout the entire Bible had an inc incredibly difficult life just trying to be faithful to, to the word that God gave them to speak. Right. And I think that's one of the, I think we've lost that prophetic voice um, <clears throat> in many ways. And uh, I remember when uh, I first got, uh, you know, when you're younger and you're starting off, you know, I think there's, you've been told so many, I was told so many times in the seminary, don't talk about tough, you know, topics your first year, let them love you first. And then you can start preaching it. And I, I thought that was ridiculous because I was like, well, I mean, what if I'm only there for a year? You know, like I waste I wasted a year, you know, and uh, I don't know. I think it was like week three. I brought up a controversial topic and, you know, my pastor got an email about me. <laughs> but I, I remember when I was with you as a deacon, I, I preached about the virtue of chastity and about, you know, and I said something, you know, and maybe I could have put it in better context. But this lady just you know read the <clears throat> riot act yeah i was saying that too many people in that particular area were just you know not getting married and fornicating and leaving <clears throat> you know like th this mess of a culture because we're not abiding by <clears throat> the sixth six commandment and um i mean i was in the chapel near like close to tears and uh and i remember you coming in the chapel and you said what's wrong with you man and i was like uh <laughs> You know, this lady yelled at me because of my homily and, you know, I talked about chastity and I'm just, I, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like I failed and you you just kind of like kind of walked off and you said, woe to you if all they speak well of you. <laughs> and I never forgot that. I mean, it was just a great teaching moment. Like, that's your job, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right out of Jesus' mouth. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, right? because that's so, how they treated the false prophets. All right. So, Monsignor, I'm going to. I'm going to kind of put you on the on the spot here, and uh, I don't know if you can answer this question, but for listeners right now, you know, we we talk about non-negotiables. You know, they, 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 there was like that list of five non-negotiables with voting and stuff like that. But what are what do you think in today's culture are things we need to think about? Where let's say three to five things that are just non-negotiables when they come up in conversation where we're strong. And we just don't budge like in, in today's <laughs> culture that you think are like the, the maybe the top five issues that we're going to struggle with for the next until we die right now. Well, I, I can I don't know if I can come up with five right away, but I let's get started, though, right away. I had a few right away. I mean, 
clearly all the life and life related issues are going to be uh, very disputed today. So we have it at both ends, right? Uh, at the beginning of life and at the end of life. And um, that uh, the fact that we cannot compromise on the fact that we believe that human life is sacred from the moment of conception to natural death and that we're not to toy with it. It belongs to God. Our life is God's. It is not ours. We have been purchased and at a price. And um, we simply cannot, cannot compromise. And even on the questions of rape and incest, you know, that child did nothing wrong. Uh, you know, I, I don't under, you know, maybe in the political process, there have to be, you know, some, some way forward, but at the end of the day, we can't as a church just say, well, it's okay if there's rape or incest, even that woman's had a terrible crime committed, but she's got to be, uh, encouraged to carry this cross because this life has been entrusted to her, even if the child needs to be given up for adoption. But at the end of the day, that child did nothing wrong. Um, now, um, so sometimes, and by the way, just, you know, sometimes people try to shame us. Are you saying that a woman who's been raped has to carry that child to birth? And we have to instead of, oh, well, um, uh, and try to find some other way to restate it. No, just say, yeah, that's what we're saying. Yeah, that's right. The child did nothing wrong. So we have to, I think, sometimes just be clear, not always try to, you know, turn things into euphemisms and change the language to get her, twist herself into a pretzel, not to simply answer a tough question. Are you saying she needs to carry that baby to the birth? Yes, that's what we're saying. Uh, are you saying gay couples can't, um, uh, can't, uh, you know, get married? Uh, yeah, that's right. That's what we're saying. Yeah, that's what we're saying. That's not what marriage is about. You know, and so on. But I'm ahead of myself. But again, the life issues, we've just got to be really, really clear uh, about these things um, of the dignity and the sacredness of human life. Also, again, matters related to sexuality. Why? And they're related because the way we come into being is through the marital act. And this is to be treated with great reverence and respect because it's the source of human life through God's power. And all these things that want to casual make sex seem casual and thing of jokes or just having fun and pleasure or whatever uh, have to be strongly resisted by us. We have to say there's some meaning. Sex has a purpose, and that's for procreation. And um, we can't uh, we can't accept the erosion of this into just sex is whatever I want it to be. I know sex is actually about procreation and we have to keep insisting i can't do a full teaching on these topics right now but so certainly the the life issues issues related to sexuality and then also related to marriage what marriage is about what marriage is for and i would add with the marriage issue we got to get the question right we're answering the world's objections but what we really need to be doing is saying that Marriage isn't about what the couple, what's good for the couple. It's about what's good for children. And we've got to get that right again. Everything's turned upside down in our culture today. It's all about what the well, the couple deserves to be happy, don't they? You know, it's all about the married couple. And it's, it's, in, in my parents' generation, uh, they had an expression, you know, even if a marriage wasn't a particularly happy one, you stuck it out for the sake of the kids. Because that's what it was about. And those kids deserve to have their parents work out their differences and stay true to them and to each other. Even if it was hard. Even when they're out of the house. Yeah, right. right. And even if it's hard. Right. But God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? So the focus is all on the adults now, not the children. But here's where I think we get the marriage question right. If we can keep it in this area, that every child deserves to have a father and a mother in a stable, committed relationship, because that's what's best for children. So in other words, it's not just having two parents, two men, two women. No, that won't work because the father manifests the masculine genes to being human. The woman manifests the feminine genes of being human. And we need both testimonies to be well-formed emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. Uh, this is what's best for children. And to intentionally deprive children of this through all of our social experiments that we're doing today, easy divorce and gay adoptions, you know, all this, you know, you, you know, a single mother or single father adoptions. Um, this is uh, unjust, it's unjust to children. And it, it, this is, uh, so marriage and family aren't just, um, you know, about two adults getting married and being happy. It's about a family. It's about children. It was best for children. So we have to kind of, I think, focus on, on those particular issues. Um, 
And, um, you know, how to fold this whole question in terms of the topics of sexuality, I think transgenderism is almost not part of sexuality. It's, it's come from the sexual confusion of our time. But transgenderism, I would argue, is actually a form of transhumanism. You're saying that you can actually twist human nature and become something that you're not just through your will. And it's just not that that's that that's a that's a deeper problem there. Uh, so I didn't even know what category to put that in. But I've got kind of rambling, Father, because you gave me a big question. But those would be three, three or four specific areas that we could start with uh, in some of these you know, non-negotiables. And right. by the way, part of the reason they're called non-negotiables isn't just because we won't negotiate, but rather because, you know, it's it's like being pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. In other words, it's these situations are very, pardon the expression, y'all, fasten your seatbelts, they're binary. <laughs> you're either for abortion or you're against it. You're either for gay marriage or you're against it. You're, you know, you can't be sort of like for, sort of like against. Um, these are, so in that sense, they're also non-negotiable. They're very binary. Uh, physician-assisted suicide or not. Whereas the care of the planet or the care of the poor or the these things admit of a range of solutions uh, and, and views and um, they're less binary, you know, so that's why we call them the non-negotiables things because they're unlike like the climate or uh, care of the poor. I hope we all agree that we, we don't want to trash the planet. I hope we all agree that we don't want to hate the poor. The question is, how do you best handle these kinds of things and reasonable people will have a range of solutions or answers to this and that's why they're they're more negotiable right gotcha and i also think too is maybe we've negotiated a little bit too with the eucharist mm. and our uh one thing i think it's it's been a sticking point but i in my conversations with priests is there's a kind of a fear <clears throat> to, put, to put our foot down about when we find ourselves in a pastoral situation where someone should be refused the Eucharist. And mm. I, I think too, it's like, what does our Lord say in the gospel? Don't give what is unholy to dogs. And, um, you know, and I, and I think too, it's, it's like what I've seen throughout my priesthood is like, there is um, a tendency to be, you know, like, I mean, sometimes at weddings and funerals, I'll ask a visiting priest to make the announcement about communion about, you know, you have to be a practicing Catholic in the state of grace and whatever. Yeah, exactly. you, can th you can throw the fast in there if that's, if that's an out. And mm -hmm. uh, some guys are just resistant to that. Like, no, I don't really feel comfortable saying that. Mm. And um, do you think, I mean, I mean, do you think there's, do you think there's also, you know, cause I think we have to preach Christ also. Mm -hmm. And if we get, yeah, right. I mean, we're preaching Christ and it's like these moral issues, I think, possibly could stem mm -hmm. from a lack of faith in higher things also mm -hmm. like if you doubt the eucharist which is the yeah. summit of our faith mm -hmm. or it's just some stupid symbol mm -hmm. you know uh then it's very mm -hmm. easy to take things that are you know of a let they're not they're as in, they're important but they're less important but yeah. super important is like you know maybe we should also kind of i mean this year of the eucharist that we should kind of talk a little bit about like the fact that there's some non-negotiables when it comes to the mm. eucharist i mean i no. what are your thoughts what are your thoughts on that no I, i'd be pretty much in agreement with you on that i i also would say you know even every now and again you'll hear this sort of retort that the eucharist is a medicine for the sinner not food for the perfect or something like that you know uh i've heard a lot of people kind of quote i think they say they're quoting the holy father i i don't know but at the end of the day um, let's take, let's take, let's take this analogy that they've given us now. Okay. Penicillin is a very good medicine for sick people. However, there are some who are allergic to penicillin and to give it to them is like giving them poison. And at some point we are taught by St. Paul, we're taught in the scriptures that the Eucharist becomes poison for someone who is not in a state of grace. Um, so that, um, uh, one bring eats and drinks condemnation upon themselves. Far from not far from getting a blessing, they bring condemnation. It's like being allergic to penicillin. Why would the church willfully just say, "Come on up, y'all"? Uh, knowing, as we should, 
that Paul, Paul and others have taught us that if we receive unworthily, we bring condemnation upon ourselves. It is for the love of those souls that we admonish them uh, to go to you know confession first, and likewise um, that um, you know we're all admonished to receive the Eucharist in a state of grace. Otherwise, it's like taking a medicine that we're allergic to. And so again, I, I think we have to do a lot of work on this because people have sort of reduced the Eucharist to a kind of a, I don't know, a badge of honor or, you know, a, uh, uh, you know, some sort of thing you get because just because you showed up, you know, and it's just not, and it's never been taught. That's going right back to scripture. Um, and even Jesus in the words of consecration, this is my body, this is my blood, which will be given for many. Uh, he didn't say for all, for the, for the many multitudes. Yes. But not for all, because not all can receive or uh, are it, it properly disposed to receive this Eucharist. Right, right. And I, I think once again, are we going back to this idea of clarity of speech? Um, I remember I was at a parish and down south, and the pastor got up there, and he just kind of was super clear about communion. <laughs> and uh, I was even shocked about the clarity of it. And uh, but it was very freeing for the people in the pews. They're like, okay, that makes sense. You know, like, okay, I know where I stand on this, you know? And, uh, and I think otherwise it's almost like it's time for communion and they're just like, it's just so confusing for the people. They don't know what to do and they feel uncomfortable and uh, they, they're, they're not being guided. You yeah. Know? Um, but I also think too, is like that people need to, I think a lot of times, a lot of uh, laity, they, they sort of, they're very much hoping which we need to do. We, I mean, we have to, we are the principal way that we that we give uh, evangelize from us is for our preaching, right? And uh, we were talking about this last night. Is that we have to have a battle plan on how to make our parishes safe a, 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 by good preaching. In other words, like yeah, it's right. very it's very clear to people this is how they stand in this church. Take it or leave it. Right. Exactly. We'll, we'll invite anybody. But this is where <clears throat> the standard that Jesus has for you, right? Mm -hmm. can, can you say a few words about that, Monsignor? Yeah, part of the preacher's job is to not just uh, inform and help the faithful, but to drive away the wolf. You know, we're pastors, and we're supposed to take these crojers, or not crojers, I mean, these uh, pastors, you know, have a, you know, shepherds have a staff, and they're supposed to drive away the wolf when the wolf approaches. Now, every now and again, we'll have... Uh, things that set up in the community or things that want to make their way into our parish church. And part of our job is to protect God's people. And we can't always single out people and say that person in the fifth row back, get out of here. That's not how we do it. But we preach the truth consistently and coherently and people begin to get the message. Now, I mean, let, let's just put it in practical terms right now. Uh, my particular parish, you know, if I look at some of the internet reviews of our parish, it's a nice place, great choir, friendly people. The pastor's a little bit uh, stodgy, uh, and it's not particularly a gay-friendly parish. Well, I don't, I'm not trying to not be unfriendly. I'm not trying to be unfriendly to anybody, but the point is what they mean is, hey, he's not towing the line. He's not reciting the narrative there. Of course not, because I love people too much to lie to them. You know, so I think that, you know, being friendly is a nice thing, but really what you want to do is be a good shepherd that cares about their soul, you know, and preach the truth. So I think somewhere though, we have to create a climate in our parishes through our preaching that makes it clear that if you go there, you're going to hear from somebody who's not going to compromise the word of God. And if anybody, if I, if I could be known as anything, that's what I'd like to be known. I'm not that I'm on, I'm on in line with this or that issue, but that consistently across the board, I will not compromise the word of God, no matter how popular something becomes in the culture. I will simply say, this is what God says. I can say no other. And I certainly won't lie to you. Hmm. I love it. I love it. Well, yeah, maybe I the quick story to tell you that one time I was preaching and I simply said, I'm sorry, folks, I, I love you too much to lie to you. There's no such thing as 50 genders. There's only two sexes. God made us male and female, and I quoted Genesis. And four people got up and walked out on me. And I didn't even recognize any of them. They were probably either visitors or they were coming to kind of scope out the place. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> I um, I I'm, and when I was a younger priest, I might have been scared. Uh-oh, I said something wrong. People got mad. But now I think to myself, and hopefully not with pride, 
but that, well, maybe that's the wolf going out. Maybe that, I mean, I, maybe I don't want people sitting in my congregation who are going to sort of insinuate, you know, themselves and, and confuse some of the people. I'm not trying to drive people away. That's not my first task, but I am trying to protect the flock and insist on the truth, you know, as a kind of a, a price of admission, you know, if I can, for lack of a better phrase. But that I like how you say this because I think a lot of people too, especially when you're a mom and dad, is that you have to protect your families, and there has to be certain non-negotiables, right? It's like okay, fine, you have you have someone who's in a same-sex relationship. They do they do not sleep in the same bedroom, and you, there's no PDA. Uh, you're, you're dating, uh, you know, in uh, you're you're cohabitating. You know, we're going to have a conversation about this. Um, you know, you don't use you don't use God's name in vain, you know, in front in, yeah. in, in our house, uh, uh, at our house. We go to mass on Sunday, whether you like it or not. You know, it's just and I yeah. think this, it's just like and then people know. I mean, and I think, too, is we got to put it back on the people. It's like, do you want what God's given you or not? Yeah. I mean, do you want to go to heaven or or do you not? I mean, it's simple. Yeah. As that. I mean. You know, because at the end of the day, it's not going to be like what your feelings are or, or mm -hmm. what your personal preferences were. This thing is mm -hmm. a lot of people, I think they've heard the message and they're just simply rejecting it. Mm -hmm. And I think the best way we can help is just keep saying the message and hope that somehow down the road, it just clicks. They're like, you know what? Father's right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's 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 I got to change my life, even if it's the last second of their life, which would be beautiful. Right. Yeah. You know? Uh, and good preaching will will make you either mad, sad, or glad. Right. And uh, it's it's but it's it's meant to bring a response. Yes. Okay. Right. Philippians three nineteen. I warn you again for there are some many people who behave like the enemies of Christ's cross. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, you know, and I think the cross is like. I mean, it's it, there. There comes a point in all of our lives, I think, too, where we're challenged by a message. Yeah. Right. I mean, right now, mm -hmm. what I've been, I mean, we, we've been talking about this a lot. I've been challenged by the whole message of suffering and that it's good. You know, it's just like, yeah, I don't I, like, I don't like that message. No, you know? no. I, I hate that message, but I, I'm trying to deal with it. It's like, no, this is what it is. And I've got mm -hmm. to, yeah. either I'm going to be resentful or I'm going to find peace with this. Right. And that that what God said is true, and that that I, this is for a greater good. And, and more, I think and more importantly, everyone. Yeah, go. I was going to say, and more importantly, you and I have had the conversations. You have a different outlook now on people who suffer. Right. Yeah. You yourself, right? Right. Mm -hmm. But I I think that's yeah. But I think that's that's where we're at. Is like we just we just can't back down mm -hmm. on these on these particular issues. And I think that. Um, and they do involve crosses, don't they? You know, it's hard to, it's easy to sin. It's hard right. not to sin. Yeah. There's in, a in, in any category. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like the woman who, ha who has single motherhood. What a cross. And what a, I, I'm, I've always been so, anytime I see a single mom and she comes into my office yeah, and right. I was like, hey, thank you for having that child. I always thank mm -hmm. you. Yeah. And I, exactly. and I say, I know that was hard and you probably were told otherwise but i just personally as a priest of god i want to thank you for doing that because i know that wasn't easy for you you know or or you know just like um i had a guy in my a couple parishes ago and he was divorced and um his wife ran off on him and he was just so busted up by it and um but he said father i, I said you want to get an all he goes no i was married i have no doubts that that was a sacrament i'm not going through the process and I want to date, but I'm not going to do it because I know what God says. And I was like, you know, what, man, you're a witness. And he suffers because of someone else's sin. But he's he's given testimony to a higher life that this life is not where it's at. We're not called to be on, you know, 100 percent happy on this earth. And I think that's that's what drives people crazy because yeah. we want we want it now. Right. And, and you know, is the laity and not not that. Not that uh, the clergy does not, but the lady, there are varying degrees, obviously, of suffering and in, in, in the, the weight of everyone's cross. But to to what we were discussing earlier, to lead an authentic Catholic life, the, you know, laity find themselves in, um, in the position of uh, many times having to uh, sever friendships, having to, uh, you know, not trying to be, you know, not trying to be uh, holier than now or things like that. But, you, you know, you may... 
that had a set of friends that you hung out with for years, and now, <clears throat> uh, you know, do it, yeah. things uh, think <clears throat> things happen uh, when you all hang out that that uh, that you really can't deal with anymore and um speaking personally for that for sure um and while you know that the weight of that cross is not comparable to those you know single moms and those struggling with uh, chronic pain and everything else it, it nevertheless is a cross because it's something you, you you know and it wasn't for show you didn't have to say oh, i can't deal with you anymore it was you, you're sad about it you you know these are people that uh, were part of your life but for one reason or another can't hang out with them anymore um yeah. Right. so yeah comes at an expense for sure right yeah, 100%. well thanks thanks monsignor i know this is uh and folks uh you know we're not you know i know we've kind of gone in the same route last three weeks but i think it's important because i i really believe that we are entering into a time in church history where uh, truth is just going to be hard to find uh i think it's going to be you're going to feel like you're alienated you're going to feel like a dummy you're going to feel like, you know, what's the point? And um, I, I, you got it. You can't back down. I, I, and I, I gotta say, I just think it's going to get worse um, because it just seems like it's not getting better. And even though, you know, like, you know, I mean, it just seems like it's the same thing that uh, it's the, the gospel has become, you know, like it says, one Corinthians, it's, it's, it's strange foreign language to a lot of people. But uh, it should be a very familiar language to us, you know. So it's just an encouragement that if you're, yeah, go ahead, Monsignor. Were you going to say something? Oh no, no. I was going to after you finished. Just, uh, yeah. So I'm I'm done. But anyway, go ahead. Why don't you finish it up, Monsignor? Well, maybe to put a bow on it, you know. Basically, you know, I, I won't turn back. You know, the uh, <clears throat> I won't. You know, the um, I won't back down. You know, that's the the, the song that kind of got us started. The um, <clears throat> at the end of the day, I think that. We also talked a little bit about there There seems to be a strong tendency in the church today to think that we can kind of play footsie with the world. That's my description. I, I want to say it's not it's not a position that that doesn't deserve some respect. But at the end of the day, we're too easily consumed by the world. And the Lord teaches us not to be easily uh, led along this way. So, for example, the, the text that occurred to me is that, you know, from 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. Or James says, you know, um, a friend of the world is an enemy to God, or at least becomes an enemy to God, because we're going to find that the world just doesn't have the same views. And finally, we talked, use the word early on about dialogue. And the problem is, if you, if you look at the Greek roots of the word dialogue, dialogos, it means a vigorous defense. It means to hurl words across. The dia is a strong, almost violent image of you're vigorously defending. It's often used when Paul is making defenses before Festus or before the governor or before uh, at the Areopagus. He's, but dialogue has just kind of come to mean this endless conversation with no real goal. And this, of course, is uh, deeply problematic today. Uh, if we want to have dialogue, we should understand in its original term that we will vigorously uh, defend the faith. And um, so anyway, I think all that's just a way of saying I understand that we went through a period where I think people honestly thought we could do a jornamental which was kind of the at the Second Vatican Council time, and just kind of reach out to the world with a kind of a new and a joyful message, and and so on. Um, but at the end of the day, um, there which, is which a, I think which I think has merit, but it's yes, like with right. this idea, not at the expense of truth. Mm -hmm. You know, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so somewhere we don't want to back down. Um, on the other hand, what does they say? Say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it mean. You know, uh, it's the kind of recipe or clarity with charity and charity with clarity, you know, but somewhere along the line, there's a lot of people who want to kind of muddle things to sort of ingratiate themselves with the world or not experience the wrath of the world. And if Jesus couldn't pull that off, I kind of doubt you are either. <laughs> we have to accept that there's going to be some <laughs> hatred. And for some reason, we can't seem to bear it. And church leadership uh priests and deacons all of us 
struggle with this and we're not really leading the way uh, for God's faithful um, and telling them to expect persecution. You know, don't be a jerk. That's not how you, know, you can get persecuted for being a jerk. That's not how you want to experience persecution. You want to have experience persecution because you authentically have heard something from Jesus and from the from his church that, that needs to be said. And you say it in love, but you say it. And if you get hated for it, well, you did the best you could. Amen. All right, Monsignor, thank you so much once again for joining us, as always. And, uh, folks, I think Monsignor is going to stick with us, you know, on this podcast. You know, if you want to go back south, he's going to be a regular guest, you know, and uh, it's been mm. great having you. Uh, can you give us a blessing, uh, Monsignor? Yeah. Um Benedictio Dei Omnipotentis, Patriciti, Spiritus Sancti, Descendat Supervos, et Maniat Semper. Amen. Shouldn't